Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? Yes, I am. Let's go. Let's go to Manhattan. Oh. See, I changed that up from New York City. See, you sure did. Stay in New York City forever. We are doing North by Northwest. An advertising man is mistaken for a spy, which triggers a deadly cross-country chase. Mm. Particulars. All right. This is one of the classics. So it is available to watch right now on HBO Max. And I believe you can rent it wherever you rent your movies. I suggest you watch this. That's my opinion. It's on the list of top 100 movies on one of those lists. See? Someone, someone's list. Multiple people have said, lists. yeah, that it's one of the movies you must watch. It's Hey, have you seen those posters that you can hang up and then they scratch off all the movies that you've seen on the top 100 list? No. They're really cool. I've been seeing them on TikTok. Oh, These people, like, they scratch out and then that's how they decide what to watch next. It's... Oh. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Interesting. North by Northwest, it came out July 1st, 1959, produced and directed by Sir Alfred Hitchcock, who also did The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Lady Vanishes, Rebecca, Rear Window, Psycho, Torn Curtain. Those are just the films that we've done of his. He's done so many others that I'm sure we'll get to eventually. The screenplay is by Ernest Lehman, he was nominated for the Academy Award six times and won zero. <gasps> just like just like old Hitchcock. I have more Hitchcock fun. never won. Nah, I got I more. I we've gone over this, but yeah, I have like the exact. All right, well, I'll scroll down. So Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock was nominated for the Academy Award, or his films were nominated for the forty-six Academy Awards. He was nominated for Best Director five times. He never won. Wow. Although at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, he was given the Lifetime Achievement Award. That's right. I remember that. Same as the screenwriter Ernest Lehman. He is actually the first screenwriter to win an honorary Academy Award. Mm -hmm. And he got that in 2001. He also wrote The Sweet Smell of Success, The Sound of Music, Sabrina, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and West Side Story. Damn, and he didn't and did it. Oh, and the music person did it too. And he, this is uh, of those that I said, a lot of them were adaptations, but North by Northwest, that is an original screenplay idea. It is not an adaptation. Ernest Lehman wanted to write the Hitchcock picture to end all Hitchcock mm. pictures. It is edited. A lot of these people are the same people that we've heard about in all the other Hitchcock films because when Hitchcock, you know, he wanted to keep working with the same kind of people. So it's edited by George Tomasini, who also did Rear Window, Vertigo, Psycho, The Birds, and Cape Fear, the 1962 Cape Fear. The music is by Bernard Herrmann, who did Citizen Kane, Psycho, Cape Fear, Taxi Driver, The Birds, and Torn Curtain. Wow. The director of photography is Robert Burks, who did A Patch of Blue, Rear Window, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo, To Catch a Thief, and The Music Man. Oh. And the opening titles are by Sal Bass. Yes. He's a very famous graphic designer. 
Uh, I think we talked about him when we did Carmen Jones. He also is very famous for designing The Man with the Golden Arm, Anatomy of a Murder, Psycho, Vertigo, The Seven-Year Itch. Pretty much before mm-hmm. Sal Bass came onto the scene, title sequences were boring, you know? It would just be like, the orchestral music, and then it would just be the titles. Um, and he came in, and he's like, like with this film, sets the tempo right off the gate. You're just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, and you can see his influence to this day. The opening titles from the show Mad Men. That's pretty yes. much completely homage to Sal Bass. His graphic design style is just... You see it, people take from it so often because it's... It, I, I personally love it. I think it's super cool. And he also did a bunch of logos for companies that are super famous. So if you're into graphic design and whatnot, check out Sal, Sal Bass. I did... I had a thing about that opening uh-huh. sequence. It was... Um, generally seen which means that it probably wasn't the first but it was generally seen as one of the first to use kinetic typography or simply moving text oh mm-hmm. um which set the tone for a thrilling experience for the crowd yeah yeah it would be because it's all of a sudden that the text is moving that would be so weird so mm-hmm. Pay attention. That's, that's one of those things that in 2022 we take for granted. Exactly. But think about all the movies that we've done prior to 1959 and the titles. You know mm-hmm. how it's just a lot of them. Remember, Teeny, your what you hate show you the cast uh, and characters. The playing, yeah. yeah. And now you have you just have the moving text and you have that Bernard Herman score that just kind of just grabs you by the throat and is like, "We're about to go. We're about to do this." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's starring Cary Grant as Roger Thornhill. Cary Grant is 55 when he appears in this film. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. He looks young. Oh, okay. I thought he looked younger. You guys talk about Robert Redford and Paul Newman, which I don't really like, but Cary Grant, I think he's an attractive gentleman. Very, very. He's my Paul Newman. I, I, That's a I will one. allow that is a very good one. And I like his movies more. Understood. If you look at his IMDb, if you yeah. look at his IMDb, it's it's just he just kept going from when he I mean when he very first started in show business, he appeared and then he was in a string of bombs. And then starting with the awful truth, which we've done, going all through those, if you just look, like, he remained a star his whole career. And I think this is one of his last few pictures because he retired from acting um, in 1966. So all through this time, there wasn't, like, a lull or anything. He was Cary Grant. So starts with the awful truth then he was in bringing up baby his girl friday the philadelphia story arsenic and old lace then he was in an affair to remember so he'd been in so many movies his whole thing and one of the things that i was reading about why he was so enduring is that he came from a very modest upbringing in england and he never played on his good looks he never played yeah. how good looking he was he, and That's he started like him, I think. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. He started in vaudeville, and so he really developed a, a style of physical comedy and, and doing little things. Like in this movie, when he puts on Kaplan's jacket, and you, and it's just all his movements of showing that it's too short, and just how he, he's, like, disgusted, like, I'm being mistaken for a shorter man. <laughs> and so he was just very much an everyman. Um, men he weren't turned off, but men wanted to be like him. And women wanted to be with him. Exactly. And so that's sort of his enduring charm. Here's a little nerd alert. When he was 31, he found out that his dead mother, who had been dead for over 20 years, was really alive! What? He had thought for 20 years that his mother was dead. When she was... What, she was just in hiding or something? No, she was... Well, yes, kind of. She was in a psychiatric hospital in England the entire time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so for much of his, not much of his life, but in his life, he did suffer from depression. And at one point, he um, got into psychedelics, and that really helped him. And he was like, oh, these psychedelics really helped me with my depression and stuff. Hmm. We have, Pink and green, lovely colors. <laughs> we have Eva Marie Saint. She played Eve Kendall. She was around 35 in this film. Yes. Supposed even, to be 26. Even, I yeah. didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. No. I, I really <clears throat> enjoy Eva Marie Saint. And she, um, she was a surprise by many that Alfred Hitchcock cast her because prior to this, she was known playing in domestic dramas where she was dowdy and like the girlfriend and crying at a kitchen sink um she's still alive she's 98 and that makes her the oldest living oscar winner that's oh wow. yeah mm-hmm. oh i so, thought she was perfect for this role she was in the russians are coming the russians are coming she's probably most famous for this and on the waterfront that's what she won her oscar for her best supporting actress. She was also in Raintree County and the Paul Newman film Exodus. Oh. And she was one that she had, um, she would take interesting roles because Hitchcock was like, after you're in this, you're never going to need to return to the sink again. And she was kind of like, but Hitchcock, I, I really like those parts. I like playing those dramatic parts. So uh-huh. she would kind of pick offbeat kind of roles and stuff. Um, we have James Mason as Philip Van Dam. We saw him in A Star is Born, The Verdict. He was also in Julius Caesar and The Boys from Brazil. And he's famous to me. I forget what Eddie Izzard comedy special it is, but that's where James Mason was one of the characters in, in his stand-up. And he was always, James Mason. <laughs> We have Jesse Royce Landis as Clara Thornhill. That would be um, Roger's mother. So she was around 62, 63-ish. So that would make her seven years older than Cary Grant playing his mother. And yet you bought it. Really? She looks like she could be... I I, I thought, thought she looked, looked like, more like siblings, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I thought he looked, she looked like she could be his mother. Okay. Especially that type of mother. Well, I, yes, that type, definitely. But I think that that's because we have maybe um, a personal history with such things. 
So I just thought, I was like, this lady, did, huh? But she was also in To Catch a Thief, My Man Godfrey, and Airport. And we have Leo G. Carroll as the professor. He was in uh-huh. Rebecca, Father of the Bride, The Bad and the Beautiful, The Parent Trap, and The Man from Uncle. Yes, that's where I knew him best from. Oh, okay. Because he's been in a lot of, I mean, those three movies yeah. are, are movies we've done. So we've seen him. He looked very familiar. And then finally, we have Martin Landau as yeah. Leonard. This is one of his very first performances. He was in Ed Wood, Tucker, A Man in His Dream, and Cleopatra. As well as Mission Impossible. Yes, the Mission Impossible yes. as well. And those are the particulars. Well, the movie starts with urgent music. <laughs> That's a good word for it. <laughs> we are in an office building with a fast-talking, good-looking man about town telling his secretary numerous tasks. He goes <laughs> into a hotel bar and snaps his fingers at the valet just as the valet is calling out for a Mr. Kaplan. So, to Dufy. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> abduct him mistakenly for Mr. Kaplan and take him to the estate of a Mr. Townsend who turns out to be Jim What could go wrong? So you have this ordinary ad executive being mistaken as some sort of spy or something, getting caught up in a, I mean, they try to kill, they try to kill your boy so many times. So many times. And several of them, you're going, how is he getting out of this one? Yes. How is he possibly getting out of this one? Um, um. And wait, I had another thought. He he is an advertising guy, like you think of Mad Men. I mean, mm-hmm. they had to be fast talking. They had to be totally self-assured. They knew what they were doing was right. And so when something is going wrong against him, he's like not Wilbur Milk Toast by any means. I'm sorry. Did you say Wilbur Milk Toast? Mm-hmm. She did. Yeah. Um, I'm okay. sorry, I don't understand that reference. <laughs> Understood. Understood. Wilbur Milktoast is like a, an analogy for a, a person who gets uh, doesn't stand up for themselves at all. Oh, like, bummer. Like, a wimp, like uh, as people would say, a wimp. Like a wet noodle. A like wet, a wet rag. noodle. Yeah. I always... Okay, well, this... I always put a, a layer of cast to it, of milk toast, because is in my mind I always heard milk toast, like like milk and yeah. toast. Yeah. And so I thought of white bread. So yeah. it was just like a really nerdy white person. Okay. Oh, but I understand milk toast because then when bread gets wet, it doesn't. It's not firm. Yeah, and it's just that. It's just that. But then when you, if you that's fry it you up, make French toast. that's yeah. what I'm getting at. That's what I was always if like. If you but, put a nice brown yeah. edge to it. You put your milk in, you add a little heat to it, and then you, you get then a nice French toast. A French toast, not Will Bear. <laughs> not Will Bear. <laughs> Will Bear <laughs> milk toast. <laughs> like a wet noodle. Okay. So I counted... Uh, five, eight 
people of color I saw. Uh, let's see. Well, there was many in the street montage at the very beginning. I counted a South Asian woman working at the UN had a speaking part. Exactly. She had a speaking part, people. Mm -hmm. And then in the background at the UN, I saw there was about four black men. I counted about three Asian men at the UN. And then there were numerous, I counted a a plus five of black porters because they were on the train. So there was a lot. And then at one of the hotels, there was a black man who was a valet who also, I believe, had a speaking part. So that's true. He had a line. Mm hmm. So, like, there there were, but most in the background, and then, like, only two non-white people with a speaking part, but it was, it was all of the parts, except for the the people in the UN were at the service of white people. And yes, an argument, I guess, could be made for those who were at the UN also at the service of white people, but... Well, there you go, hey. yeah. <laughs> hot take. Hot take, so, hot take. Uh, now we're at a moment of cast. Oh, there are plenty of moments. I know, because I had something else that's a nerd alert, but I don't know if I'll, I'm going to do it for a nerd alert. So um, <clears throat> do you want me to do the one you sent me, or is Teeny doing that one? You can do it. I didn't get to read all the way through it. Okay, uh, this article is called, Why is Tan Skin Considered Beautiful in America? Because uh, Carrie Dark was had a pretty dark complexion. Carrie Carrie Dark? (laughs) Carrie Grant. (laughs) A new name is born. (laughs) Carrie Dark. (laughs) Carrie Dark had a pretty Grant complexion. He always did seem to have a tan. Well, he was, um, because as a child, Douglas Fairbanks was his boyhood idol, and Douglas Fairbanks was known for having the tan. And in the article, it kind of matches up with the time frame of when that became a nouveau fashion. So yeah. that's why Cary Grant always maintained his tan, his deep, dark tan throughout his life. So this this <clears throat> article is called, Why is Tan Skin Associated with Beauty in the United States? By Morgane McHugh-Gerty. <laughs> or something like that. <clears throat> Well, I thought you might have gone McIrish, so that's <laughs> good. <laughs> in uh, the Victorian era in Europe, 1920s, fair skin equaled wealth. So that's why women always had a hat and a parasol. Um, and then um, the darker skin you had, the less quality of life you had. Right, because it was also a social class and also a, a racial class because the closer you were to whiteness, and that white was purity, so the darker your skin, the less quality of life you probably had. Right, because if you have the farmer tan, it's, that means you're out there being a farmer. You're working the land. You're working. You're, you're doing hard labor. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> women would cover their skin with lead paint. Yeah, Ooh. to make sure that it wouldn't tan. Yeah, but they mm-hmm. went cray cray. But that look at that. See, that's one of the examples of cast backfiring. Yeah, let me lather myself in lead paint so I don't get darker because people will assume things. Maybe that's what Teeny does. <gasps> 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 okay, 
Uh, I wish it, Periscope equaled wealth. So so do we. So do we. <laughs> we, thought, we thought, here we go. Adam did it. He Adam did pulled it. it out for us. Not so fast. Um, in 1923, Coco Chanel went on a cruise with the Duke of Winchester, and er, she got Westminster. What did I say? Winchester. Westminster. I mean, it's all the same. It's, it's a duke. Thing. Yeah, whatever. And we all don't care. A duke of Yeah, it wasn't the Duke of Edinburgh. It wasn't the Duke of Wales. So, okay. She got sunburned, and evidently they called it sun-kissed. And that meant you were a lady, a lady of leisure, mm. a lady of leisure, because you could just sit and let the sun kiss you. You just you had nowhere to be. You're just out on yachts yeah. and beaches. Just you weren't out there. Um, and so then tanner skin became more attractive, but it only applies to people who start with fair skin. Mm. Mm. And so. it only applies to to United States and Europe. That, the white that, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the value besto- the value bestowed light skin in its presumed connection to whiteness reflects the extent to which the entire society continues to white privilege whiteness. I'm having trouble with this. No wonder I laugh at you every time. Okay. And as Aaron just said, it was only popular among white Americans and Europeans. And I'll bet white Canadians, too. And white Australians. Yeah. It's white, definitely white South Africans, I'm, I'm yeah, guessing. Where they all came from, you know, because of the colonization. Yes. Okay. Asia and Africa... Light skin is still a sign of high class and social status, even to this day in our extended family. That is still a thing. The the lighter your skin, that the better you are. (laughs) Yeah. Even people who have very dark skin and have done quite well in their lives, it's always, well, was he light skinned or dark skinned? Um, okay, so uh, African Asian light skin because that that was the European influence of colonialism in India, Japan, China, Thailand, Korea, and Ghana. Skin lightening products are a big business. Um, they were they are here in America too. Mm-hmm. They just market it. Differently. Differently, exactly. Uh, yeah, you just want to get rid of your um, sunspots. They say to me. Yeah, I know that's what they say to, to me too. And and they kind they almost got me on it because you know I'm always like, oh, I I burn my skin really bad and I have these dark spots and I wanted to lighten it. But then I was like, wait a second, no, what am I saying? I want right. to lighten my skin. Well, you wanted to even. I just your wanted skin it tone. to be even, right. and that's what they're like selling to you, but. Um, so now that's why I'm like, no, I don't, I, I've kind of given up on that. And I'm, cause I don't, I don't want to buy a product that's going to lighten my spots, even though I know the reason that I'm doing it isn't that reason, but it's still like, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. So the next point is exactly what we were just saying. 
the U.S. Black and Asian communities market products to reduce skin spots and even your skin tone. But what it's trying to do is just give you a lighter complexion. Oh, and honestly, I would rather the rest of me be dark like my spots. And I'm 70. <gasps> no way. But um, that was your choice. That was your chance, Christine, to jump in there. But <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I see what you're saying. That's what I wanted. That's what I want. Every time I show my driver's license to anybody and nobody, nobody is shocked. Okay. Um, I have a lot of sunspots. It must be your um, light skin. Yes. Although I'm on the, okay. Um, I'm on the dark side of whiteness. (laughs) That sounds like a song. (laughs) Guys, write that. No, that's your life. You you made choices. (laughs) Well, that too. But yeah, okay. Um, but I look at my sunspots and I know I got them from being in the sun, being at the beach. And Hey, when I look at them now, it's like, yeah, it was a good time. I, I, that's fine. Um, so the other thing, skin lightening products are a bigger business and, um, (laughs) 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 $31.2 million will be spent. Billion dollars. Thank, thank God she read the article. See, Christine, you could have done a better job. By uh, uh, 2024 versus indoor tanning and self-tanning products, which is a $5 billion industry. So those of us trying to get tanner, we're spending $5 billion. People trying to get lighter are spending $31.2 billion. That's just cast. Because to That's me, cast. It, it was always weird as a little kid being like, like seeing Cary Grant. I'm like, that man is dark. But yet, people are racist to people with dark skin. But you have light skin and you want to be dark. Yeah. That's, it's just the, the, the back. no sense. Thank you. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. I guess that's the ultimate privilege. I will I will say in my family, but when my siblings and I, um, my dad had olive skin, and so I have the more olivey skin. I used to be able to tan rings around everybody in my family. I was always the dark little berry, as my great aunt would say. Oh, bye. Uh, dark little berry. Mm. And then when I got married and had kids, that was all. Well, thank goodness Christine came to the family. Thank <laughs> you, Christine. <laughs> so what other casts do we have? You got those See, spots Chris- trying to keep Christine up Christine is up. the highest cast of our family. <laughs> you were like, Christine, go first. You go first. We'll get us a Glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, she so helped us with our skin care. Because we used to we used to apply uh, suntan lotion once at the once? beach, in the, and, in the and now before we went out, and now we we see her like reapplying, like setting timers mm-hmm. to reapply, and now we're reapplying. Yeah. yeah, so thank you. My skin thanks you. Although that was the I got my sunspots the year that she wasn't there. Exactly, because you were wearing a black mask on the beach. Yeah, 
well, you know, frying her, frying her cheeks, as it were. And we're talking no, about no. the ones on her face. Indeed. Other cast. Tini, do you have anything? I do not. Well, I have just to mention, like, the auction. They were selling a bunch of artifacts that are probably stolen from countries and their oh, peoples. Yeah. So there was that. And then there's also, really quick, the Pullman Porters. Um, they were the overworked, underpaid, and demeaned um, black men who worked on the trains that mm -hmm. George Pullman had. Um, but they were, even though they were underpaid, they were paid better than black men like it was like george pullman um they they fueled the it basically helped promote civil rights and the middle class access to black americans it fueled the great migration conductors were white but um george pullman he recruited from former slave states um and their jobs were to lug baggage shine shoes set up and clean up the sleeping berths and serve passengers and he did that because former slaves would know best how to cater to his George oh, Pullman's wow. customers. Yeah, I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was like baked into there. He was like, oh, they well, they already know how to how to how to cater to their every whim and how to work long hours for cheap wages. He's like, at so least he's taking them. he's taking the house slaves, right? Oh yeah, not, completely. Not that's like that's completely <clears throat> how it was. By the 1900s. Um, Port, the, George Porter was the largest single employer of black men in the country, and but it ended up um, being a good thing because even though they made low wages, they they were still making wages, and they also got to see the country, and they got to see advertisements that were meant for white people saying, "Hey, come out to Los Angeles, come out to San Francisco, come out to Oakland," and that kind of fueled the Great Migration because they were making steady wages. And they would pull in like families, like brothers, mm -hmm. like families and stuff. And it was a way for black men to accumulate wealth and to really set up their families for a, a nice uh, boost into middle class. So, what movie was it that we saw where the older Pullman porters were telling the younger ones how to save money, how to not go out and spend all their? Was that? Um, it was one because we really got into to I really went into the the Pullmans more for yeah, that. Yeah, it was something in the past year. Uh, or it might have been like kind of before that, but it was something with train travel and yes. two years ago maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, yeah, I can see it. The guy who who went to an island and became their Oh that one? Oh, I don't remember if it was that one. But Oh, I forget what that movie was. I think it was before I it was before I started taking my notes digitally because I would oh, I went okay. to search to look for it and it was before that. So okay, well, um, yeah. So so the older guys would sit the young ones down and say, "Yeah, you can go out and party every night, or you can save this much of your paycheck every every month, and then you're going to accumulate some wealth, and then and you know, also." how to be really how to get those tips mm -hmm. yeah and, and really like go into it and they also formed the first black union mm -hmm. and then they were really instrumental in because they were race because it was george pullman was the the owner and so everyone was either called boy or george and yeah. there's a movie called Ten Thousand black men named george and they i believe they did like a boycott and so they were they were like one of the really big 
um, instigators for getting the civil rights movement started and, and having like a whole network because um, they pretty much, you know, I mean, the tr think of transportation yeah. in those times, it was train travel and they really got a big influence and um, were very influential in that. But that's not my main cast that I have. Oh, okay. Ooh. So my main cast is about Mount Rushmore. Oh, Me I was too. hoping somebody went into this. Oh, so Mount Rushmore, it wasn't always called Mount Rushmore. The Lakota name translated is Six Grandfathers, and it's also known as Cougar Mountain. It's near, it's in the Black Hills near Keystone, South Dakota, and it faces southeast, and they decided to have it face southeast for maximum sun exposure. The sculptor is Gutzon, G-U-T-Z-O-N, Gutzon Borglum. He created the design and oversaw the project, which lasted from 1927 to 1941. And his son, Lincoln Borglum, uh, finished the project because Gutzon, I, I believe he dropped dead before it was finished. The statues are, well... Well, hold off on your sympathies until until I get to some later stuff. Oh, no, I don't feel bad for him. Just oopsies dead before you finish. Oopsies, exactly. So there are 60-foot heads, and originally the plan was that it was going to go all the way down to their waist, but they just like, were like, we just want to be done with this, and the money dried up. Ooh. There are 60-foot heads of George Washington. It reads unfinished. <laughs> it does. There's 60-foot heads of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. Now, the original idea to carve uh, sculptures into mountains was by, uh, oh, I typed the name. What was his name? Something Robinson. Don't oh, Robinson? Dwayne. It's like a Dwayne Robinson. Oh, so Dwayne Robinson. He was a South Dakota historian, and he originally wanted it to be Lewis and Clark, their guy Sacagawea, Lakota Chief Red Cloud, Buffalo Bill Coyote, and Lakota Not Coyote, just Cody. Oh, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo. Oh, oh, sorry. That sounds no. more adventurous, though. No. Yeah, Buffalo Bill Coyote. Yeah, he's helping those the Mexican people get across the border. <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo Bill Cody and Lakota Chief Crazy Horse, but old. Uh, Gutzon said that the sculpture should have a broader appeal, and so he chose the four presidents. Now, there's no official proof that old Gutzon officially joined the KKK. But if I have to say that sentence, no, <laughs> um, you, you know where my man stood. So, but he... A quote was deeply involved in clan politics. Yeah. Mm. Which <laughs> I'm pretty sure the main one <laughs> is we hate Catholics. And then the second one is I'm kidding. We all know what the main one is. They hate black people. And then they hate Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> My grandmother um, had a cross burned in her front yard for being Catholic. So he was very early involved in the old Stone Mountain down in Georgia. That's oh, how yes. 
that's how people got to know. They're like, oh, you want to carve a mountain, then then you need the guy that's that's carving the the Confederates down in Stone Mountain. But he left the Stone Mountain project because he was of fired infighting with his fellow clannies. So, um. So that's just like, because that was wild to me when I was like, we could have had Sacagawea and we could have had two Lakota chiefs. And, and my man was like, no, we needed to appeal to a broader audience and just a narrow it down. Audience. Yeah. I was like, and then you're like, oh, he was in the clan. Um, so the whole thing goes back to about 1885. There was a yeah. prospecting expedition with David Swainsey, who was married to... Did you have who he's married to, Ma? No. This David Swainsey guy was married to um, Carrie Ingalls, who was the youngest <gasps> sister of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Whoa. Mm-hmm. The Little House in the, of Little House in the Prairie fame. And then there was also this guy, Bill Chalet. And then there was this wealthy investor. And his name was Charles E. Rushmore. And so <clears throat> their wealthy investor would joke, ha ha, they should name this mountain after me. So basically, and then in uh, they made it official, the U.S. Board of Geographic Names in June 1930 made it official and named it Mount Rushmore after this wealthy investor. So basically this Mount Rushmore is like crypto.com arena that we have here in mm -hmm. LA. Like, like we're always promoting all these stadiums that are just named for these things, but that's exactly what Mount Rushmore is. This yeah. wealthy investor is named after him because, so this is where it ties into caste. In 1868, there was the Treaty of Fort Laramie, and basically it granted the Black Hills to the Lakota people uh -huh. in perpetuity. Ma, what does perpetuity mean? Is that in, in the future? No, it means forever. Oh. Perpetuity means forever. There's no end limit. So in this treaty that, they, that both sides signed, it said, here are the Black Hills, they're yours forever. But the word treaty is translated to fuck you. Yeah, because the U.S. then took the land from the tribe after right. the Great Sioux War in 1876. So I guess according to Americans, perpetuity means, what, nine years? Eight years? What? Nine until years? we want it back. Yeah. It meant until the white people wanted it. So why was there even a, a Great Sioux War? You know, why was the U.S. even it, it, like you signed a treaty? Why are you going back fighting more? Well, what is the answer to every question? Money, 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 money. Gold had been discovered in the Black yeah, Hills. Yeah, and then their hills. Yeah. So Ooh. then they were What's like, that movie we watched, the tre Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, I like that one. So then, so. Yeah, so basically Mount Rushmore is completely built upon stolen land. That was, like, there's an official treaty that was signed, like, this is your land. The U.S. took it back illegally. I was like, no, and then they're like, oh, go ahead and, like, carve it all up. In 1980, there's a Supreme Court case, the United States versus the Sioux Nation of Indians, and the Supreme Court ruled that the Sioux had not been had not received compensation for their land in the Black right, Hills. Right, right. 
And at that point, the court proposed that they be paid $102 million, which in today's money plus interest uh, is about $2 billion. But in 2020, indigenous activist Nick Tilson explained why his people won't accept a settlement. And <laughs> I'll use his words because mine are far... He, he's more eloquent in his reasoning. But he says, why won't we accept the settlement? Because we won't settle for anything less than the full term of our lands as stipulated by the treaties our nation signed and agreed upon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you want to pay us off, but we had a treaty. You signed it. We signed it. And no, there's no amount of money. So there's always been an uh, issue with uh, Mount Rushmore and all of that. And because it's not only is it not land, but it's also considered sacred land mm -hmm. to the indigenous mm. people. So it's a very big slap in the face. So then in 1940... There was a crazy horse memorial started in the Black Hills, mm -hmm. and they, like, rejected offers for federal funds, and it's still going, but once it's completed, it should be bigger than Mount Rushmore. However, there's controversy with that as well amongst the tribes, because there was this guy standing there, and he kind of took it upon himself to just decide to go and do this crazy horse, like, you know, sculpt this crazy horse thing in the mountains, and Crazy Horse's family is like, yo, my man, what makes you think that Crazy Horse would want you cutting into the mountains? Yeah. Like, these the are sacred. sacred. See, the, uh, white people don't understand sacred. They understand the dollar, yeah. but not sacred. Well, and that's part of what R Mount Rushmore, what that Gustav wanted it to be, was that it was to show the presidents and to specifically have them carved into the mountain was to show the... United States is dominating over bending everything to its will, including nature, because it's a mountain exactly. and it's exactly. sculptures in it. So I just thought that that's very interesting because on one hand, I'm like from like sculpture thing of like, oh, wow, how did they get that? And how did they do the sculptures? But on the other hand, you're like, well, that's pretty fucking fucked up. Yeah, that they've like this was somebody's sacred mountain and and. For centuries and centuries, you know, this is a place where they're dead. They buried their dead. They like worship there. It was like religious things, and you're just gonna carve these four white men's faces into it, two yeah, of which own slaves. <laughs> yeah, I do have a quote. Do you have the quote? Uh, no. Um, from the National Park Service, because mm. when I started in doing research into Mount Rushmore. I kept going, but but where's the dirt? Because it's all, you know, Gust whatever his name is. He, yeah, he's all this, and he's a great sculptor, and this, and this, and this. And I kept going, there, there's... So then I put in his name, racist with it, and then we got the truth. That's what. That's always what you do. Just Google something and add the racist, and then, yes. then yeah. you get U.S. history. Yeah. The real. Okay. So um, the Lakota... Uh, when they look at the faces of the men, this is from Chairman Harold Frazier, Chairman Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe. He says, Lakota see the faces of men who lied, cheated, and murdered innocent people whose only crime was living on land they wanted to steal. 
Now, this is what the National Park Service tells us, because there is no mention of racism or KKK anywhere. We want our stories of America to be simple. We want Mount Rushmore to be a shorthand for everything that's great about America. Oh. Mm. Well, there is a growing movement. I recommend there's plenty of articles and there's books, but there's a growing movement that I'm kind of like, this is an interest this is interesting because you know how there are always the government is in charge of the national parks and yes. there's always funds that come depleted and stuff. So there is a growing movement to return the national parks to the tribes because mm-hmm. these these are the people who know how to take care of that land. Who better than to preserve the land than the people who preserved it for centuries? Right. Like beyond centuries, you know, that, that, that know about the foliage and, and how to, when it needs to be taken back and when it needs, like, that just knows all of the ins and outs that people who came over 200 years ago don't know about this land. I think it's pretty interesting, you know? And also because it's, like, it would be, it would go very far. I hate to say the word reparations because people get their underwear all tied up in a tizzy over it. But think about the the treaty that was broken, all the treaties that were broken. Seems like it might be a nice gesture to be like, we have all this pristine land, national parks, here, here you go. I, I bet that there are people who are like, then we wouldn't be allowed to be in it. Because they would think that, I wouldn't feel comfortable. But that's oh not that's that's not how that's not how those people roll, you know? It's it's the preservation of it. They're right. not they're not vindictive. <laughs> like, they're not gonna know? take a uh, a giant um what's that thing? Like a bunch of dynamite and explode <laughs> Blow everything. Blow that mama up. No. Very interesting, and if you're interested, I suggest you look into it. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of like, huh? That seems like a great solution. Yeah, like a little bit of something. I did Already. a little bit of different research on Rush, Mount Rushmore. Yes, please. My, I just decided to look at the Yelp reviews for it. Oh, <laughs> we need you. our Christine. Visited last year. Beautiful area, but the monument is an abomination and should be destroyed. (laughs) I was a little frustrated to visit the park and find out that their little butts were not present on the back side of the mountain (laughs) and their little wieners were not on the front side. (laughs) Um, Drew C. said, world's most mysterious natural rock formation, mountainous Rushmore, was underwhelming and a lot smaller than promised. Not even sure who all those men up there are, but I think it's just the same man four times in a row. And why is that? There should be four or five women up there, if you ask me. Small as heck and crowded, too. Like, can you at least put a VIP section so I don't have to rub elbows with all these freaking peons? There are a lot of them. Um, not to downplay the achievements of the monument, but it was really not that awesome. Seriously, you can only look at giant heads carved into the side of the mountain for so long. We drove across the country and through SD for this. Yeah, because it's out of the way. Mm. Uh, when I was little, I always wanted to go because it just seemed like so, such a 
cool thing. And my mother mm-hmm. said to me the same thing she said when I said I wanted to visit Washington, D.C. Then you can go on your honeymoon. <laughs> so I, I, and now I'm glad I never went because. But that's so funny. Like the what to like that my grandma would compare going to D.C. from Cincinnati to going to Rushmore in the middle of. I mean, at least D.C., like, oh, you could swing up to, you know, Philadelphia, New York. It's, you know, it's along a, a very traffic it. It's not like it's in the middle of nowhere, but to, to Mary Kay Weber, she couldn't be bothered. Nope. Um, Heather said, I'm simultaneously creeped out and bored by Mount Rushmore. After spending 13 hours in a car the day before, this is one of the most boring things we could have ever done. It's wow. big. It's rock. There are faces of presidents on it. Yep, there it is. Looks at watch. What else is there to see around here? The creepiness comes in because you can suddenly see the faces emerge from around the bin while you're in your car. Yes, I'm easy to scare, but still, it gave me the willies. It also loses points for being carved into a rock that is sacred to the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. It gains a few points for the park rangers. She did rate two stars instead of one. Being very pleasant and informative, they directed us to more exciting things to do in the area. God love them. Oh, good. And then finally, Dan said, not very good. Kind of scary, in my opinion. My little sister cried. Do not bring kids to this thing. Oh. There you have it, if you were thinking of visiting any time in the future. It's something that I, when I was little, I did want to visit. Because, again, it's their faces in the mountains? What? But then when you get older and you kind of realize what it is, it's like, I got to be mistaken for a spy and trying to get back the love of my life. <laughs> and it's like the Hoover Dam. I have no need to see it. I've seen it. But that at least that is something that you can, if you're driving across the country that you can swing by and and take a look at on your way to Vegas. Yeah. It's it's not that big of um like going out of the way and whatnot. Especially if you're like, oh, it's like the Grand Canyon. Like, well, might as well swing up there, go see it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's there. But like when we were driving across country, we weren't like, hey, you know what we should do? Let's swing up to old Mount Rushmore. Like Yeah. I thought it was fun in the movie, though. Yes. It was oh, fun absolutely. It was great. To the, yes. yes. So, so there you, there we go. Okay. Well, um, I, uh, the only other nerd alert I had was that Eva Marie Saint's car was a '59 Lincoln Continental. Mm. That was that was a quite a car at the, in the day. Yeah, well, that's a nice CIA per diem. She's getting there. Yeah, exactly. So this came out in July 1959. In 1959, Alaska becomes the 49th state, and Hawaii is on its way to becoming the 50th state. When I was born, there were 58 states. 48 wow. states. 48 <laughs> states. I'll, I'll hold it in. 48. Thank you, Christy. And that's something to, to go into uh, Hawaii and being a, a, a state. Because there are a lot of people who are like, what? No, we mm-hmm. don't want to be a state. And Puerto Rico's not? Mm-hmm. Well, I would even look closer to home and be like, the District of Columbia has taxation without too? representation? That's true. What? Huh? Motown Records is founded by Barry Gordy in 1959. 
Lorraine Hansberry becomes the first black woman to produce a show on Broadway when her play A Raisin in the Sun opens. Ooh. With Sidney Poitier. I don't know if he was in the Broadway when that when it opened. Um, Fidel Castro takes over Cuba. Mm-hmm. Here's one for Teeny. Lee Petty wins the first ever Daytona 500. Oh. Ooh. 1959. The Dalai Lama is granted asylum in India because there was a bunch of... You can listen to... Because there was also... What was it? Darby O'Kill and the Little... Darby O'Kill and the Little People? Yes, that also came out in 1959. So if you listen to that, I went into more on the Dalai Lama and that whole issue with China and whatnot. And in 1959, British Empire Day was officially renamed... Commonwealth Day. <laughs> they, ah. it's just, they tested it. It just sounded a little better. Instead of not British Colonizer Day? Day. No, they decided not to go with Colonizer Day. They decided to go with Commonwealth Day. Ah. I feel she's pro- the queen was probably, I feel that is a bit more uh, in line and takes away from uh, the feel of iron oppression upon these people we have wrought. But do they have a diamond for me this year? I will take the diamond, place it in my crown, be buried with it, and they shall never get it again. The top films, number five was Pillow Talk, which we've done. We loved Pillow Talk. Mm -hmm. Number four was Some Like It Hot, which we've done. Number three was Operation Petticoat. Which we haven't done. Number two was The Shaggy Dog. Hmm. And the number one film was Ben-Hur. Oh, with the leprosy and the loaf <laughs> of bread. The Oscars were, Oscar-nominated films were Room at the Top, The Nun Story, The Diary of Anne Frank, Anatomy of a Murder, and the winner with the leprosy and the, the loaf the, of bread. Ben-Hur. would be Ben-Hur. 1959 was also when Barbies and Trolls were introduced. Oh. I had an original Barbie. What? Mm-hmm. With her striped bathing suit and her and her pin curl. Oh, yeah. Bangs My and mom ponytail. Yeah. And, um, of course, I got bored with the ponytail, and I tried to take it down to do other stuff with it. I ruined huh? her, but. I don't know why, but for some reason, that was kept in our kitchen cabinet when I was a kid. Maybe it was her Captain Bush. But if she still has it in pristine condition, it's really worth a lot of money. No, it was out of the box and in our kitchen cabinet. Because when she had had enough of you all, she would take it out and beat (laughs) the shit out of it and then throw it back in the kitchen cabinet and she would feel much better. And she had her blue eyeshadow and her feet that, that were deformed because she always had to wear high heels. Yes, Adam. <laughs> so now we're to reheatables, and I'm going to let Christine go first. Okay. Well, my negatives. Um, at one point, somebody said think thin. Yeah, that was, um, uh, what's his, Cary Grant's character, Thornhill. Yeah. He's an ad man. He was like, oh, yeah. do I look a little heavy? Make a note. Oh, think yeah. Thin. Yeah, that's right. Okay. You know, oh, wait, sorry, but I read that in real life, Cary Grant, he never weighed over 180 pounds. 
Wow. He always looked very svelte because he had his shirt off in this a couple times, didn't he? Yeah, I thought yeah. he looked very good with 55? his shirt off. Yeah. I said calling subordinates at work, sweetie, or any other pet name, mm-hmm. such as me being called kid at work this week. Oh, cute. Kid. Mm, yeah, hey, as kid? in the term, I'll get into it offline. But oh, okay. Hey, kid. You okay. can fuck all the way off. Oh, I'm so sorry. I probably shouldn't say that, but I'm not mentioning names. But oh. yeah. Mm. Hey, kid. Hey, kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got, I'll tell you, I'll say this offline. I'm making a note so you don't forget. And then drunk driving. Yes, yes, I had drunk driving, even though it wasn't his fault. Still. Yeah, I mean, he kind of nailed it, but, and you know. Also, that was so much bourbon they poured down his throat. How is he alive? How did he not throw it back up? That's yes. What, yes. You know. Yes. Especially bourbon. Yes. And because it's sweet, it's got a sweetness to it. It wasn't even good bourbon, I didn't think. I did not get a look on the label. It did not seem like if it was Blanton's, because that bottle was was definitely not a sphere. It was not Eagle Rare. It was not Angel's Envy. So. And then, I don't know. I, I, apparently the $2 fine was an inside joke. Yes. Yes. I do have that. Do you have that? I only listened to it, so I didn't retain it. It was a joke because it came from a line. I'm looking to where I have it in my notes. Oh, guy, guy, notes. Basically, it was an old vaudeville uh, line where... The guy, it, it was like an old vaudeville bit. So, you know, right. kind of okay. how, and, and the, the gist of it is, is that this guy gets arrested for spitting on the subway. And so he's in the courtroom and it's, the fine is $2, but his attorney keeps, he refuses to settle the case and wants to fight for it. And then the judge keeps adding greater and greater sentences mm-hmm. to it. And so the guy is just going, just pay the $2, just pay the $2. So, okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those old timey like now in movies there might be some sort of bit like more cowbell please be referenced in a right. movie. Anything else? No, those are mine. Uh Aaron? I have also, like with the drunk driving, that he was basically convicted of it, but he was just allowed to like go. Like he went through this 59. whole. I mean, talk about cast right there, where he's yep. like, "Hold on, yeah. let me go out to this rich place and show you all that this guy tried to kill me and all of this stuff." And then they're the people somehow they are able to you know connive and and basically like it's just total hitchcock total mcguffin kind of stuff and then he's just like let off with like oh and it's it's like he could have seriously killed he should have been dead and he could have seriously killed somebody i also have roger and his mother looking like siblings but that could be just me my take okay 
why was he so obsessed with finding this Kaplan guy? Because after you survived, like, yeah, after being... you got off, I thought that same thing. Like you got off, just fucking go on with your life. Yeah, I hope that you're not mistaken again. But he was just so. Who is this man? I must find him. Um, at one point, I so I have scotch because at one, but it was after he survived a yes. whole multitude of things that he was like scotch, water, no ice. But again, it goes to my theory of scotch. People who like it, they like things that are difficult. And obviously, because my man wouldn't let go of this yeah. George Kaplan thing. It was difficult. Thing. Yeah. It was difficult. The UN security. My well, God. Yeah. yeah. A throne, huge. Like that, a crocodile Dundee, well, that's a knife, gets thrown into my man's back. And then he has it, gets a picture taken over the dead body and is still able to get out of the UN? <laughs> Where were the machine guns? That's what wow. I Wow! This is 1959. Like, we we know that shit pops off internationally by this point, but, no. Oh. And then, um, and this was, I know that this, this, look, I love this movie, but I will say, I did find that after the crop dusting scene that it kind of drags a little it does yeah i you know? it really had me until there and then i was like all right because it took me, and then it got me back in the end like yeah I came yeah back when they were in the house but there was a minute there where i was like oh, okay this is we're dragging actually i said to myself self this is why christine has a limit of two hours yeah yeah i have i have a thing on that i think um MGM, this was the only film that Hitchcock ever made for MGM. MGM wanted to cut 15 minutes mm -hmm. out of the film because they wanted it to be under two hours. And Hitchcock had his agent go check his contract. And they're like, oh, yeah, you completely have absolute control over, over Final Cut. So he was able to keep that. But I'm kind of like, you know, I think I think I could have we could have cut a little bit because yeah. at that point. She is okay with him dying. <laughs> Are they going to bring that up at some point in their relationship? Because she does send him to the field in the middle of nowhere, basically sending him to his death. Yeah. Because she was just like, ah, say la vie. That's the, the collateral damage. That's the price we pay in this business. He he was he was handsome. Oh well. So had, had a night of fun. Yeah. And she's like, I'm in the CIA, bitches. Peace out. So those were my negative reheatables, Ma? Okay, well, mine was kidnapping. Then loafers. He has to climb mountains and, and uh, um, an Andrew Lloyd, uh, not Andrew Lloyd Webber, but a <laughs> Frank what, Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright uh, beam on a house in loafers. Um, and, there's no okay. traction on those bad boys. No, there is none. And champagne on the rocks? Are you fucking kidding me? No. no I'm kind of no. not. I'm not mad at that. I'm not, I'm not mad, mad, mad at that. that. I am. Well, would you rather? Well, I like what? an ice cube in my wine. You know what? It's interesting because I'm not mad at that, but as someone who doesn't usually have ice cubes in their beverages, I um, I understand where Ma's coming from on that. Because 
because I could do warm champagne. Because that's that was gonna be my retort to you, yeah. Mom. Was was oh, you want your champagne warm? And then I was, and then the voice in my head yeah. clicked, and it was like, "Hey, motherfucker, you drink Coke warm, so yeah." If okay. it's really good champagne, do not put some water in there for me. Uh uh-uh, uh, no. Well, sir. see, here's the thing, Ma. In my line of thinking. You put the ice cube in it because it cools it, but you're not going to leave it long enough for that to melt. You know what I'm saying? It The ice cube pops in, it does its job, and you're sucking that bad boy down. So, before it could get watery, you're not... As I like to I say... I think it's one of the Ten Commandments. I really do. Okay. There there has been Ma Bush's snob corner. <laughs> snob mm-hmm. corner. We can, we can do a segment. We got snob corner. Snob corner. Also, speaking of snob corner, the monogram on the matches, that's not a monogram. Roger O. something Thornhill. No, the last name is in the middle. It should be R-T-O. But that that ruins the joke. It does. So maybe his last (laughs) name should have been Orenthal. (laughs) Yeah, but that would be a bad reheatable in 2022 although go ahead there's a tasty nugget about the o it doesn't stand for anything and that was a nod to donald o selznick because his o doesn't stand for anything either okay well it was wrong that's not how you do monograms (laughs) just so you know you will understand more at christmas okay so now we are to positive reheatables well Spy movies on Thanksgiving. Always mm. when James Bond came out. And my dad never took me to see. He would always take my brothers to go to the theaters. But wouldn't Cary Grant have been and he would never take James me. Bond? Yeah, I listened to a lot of things that said that this is like a precursor because James it Bond is, yeah. came out three years later. It is. Uh, this is considered the first James yeah. Bond film. And in fact, Ian Fleming, he actually i have it in all of my things um he they wanted carrie grant to be the first james bond they wanted him to be in dr no and he turned it down and said that he was too old he thought he was too old to play this role yeah like this movie was inspired the james bond series um he said no, he was too old. And Ian Fleming has spoken of his inspiration for James Bond was actually Cary Grant. Yeah. And that it was based on his roles in the Alfred Hitchcock films, Notorious, To Catch a Thief, and this film, North by Northwest. How so ending. Okay. It, yeah, it all adds in. Yeah. Um, the New York City, excuse me, the Manhattan montage. Yes. Um, when... Cary Grant goes to meet whoever at lunch or somewhere. He's going somewhere, and they're already drinking. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we got a head start. And he said, well, that won't last long. <laughs> um, there's a nice Cadillac. Uh, the junk driving scene was still good. Yes. The music was good. The whole scene I enjoyed. It was so suspenseful because you were like, is he going to yeah. die? Is he going to kill somebody? This is so, oh my gosh, this is so And they wrong. did really good with the visuals of of two him seeing two center lanes and mm-hmm. things being fuzzy. Not that I would know what it's like to drive drunk. Yeah. Um, inside of the United Nations building looks nice. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of that is preserved. The outside I tend to find is pretty ugly. We ride by it on our bikes sometimes, and I don't enjoy oh, it. That's too bad. Um, they all the camera shots. There are some like aerial views. Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed the cinematography. I guess whoever was the director yes. of photography. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on your job well done. Um, be Robert Burks. Great job. Uh, that home they were in at the end, the mid-century modern, the rug, the chairs, the fireplace, the decor it was great. The walk, the 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 walk, the hallway, open hallway, mm -hmm. looking down into yeah. Matchbooks, I like. Those are fun. Mm, that's, uh, that's why my brother married you. <laughs> Y'all share that love of matches. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> and then the fashion. Yes. Um, I like red it. and black dress she had oh, on. Oh, so good. <gasps> that was a gorgeous dress. Uh, and then, like, when they were trying to find a podcast I listened to, I listened to an episode of a podcast about this. Uh, it was a podcast called Unspooled. With... Oh. Comedian, actor and comedian Paul Shear and film critic Amy Nicholson. Oh, yes, uh, I've heard of that. That's a famous movie podcast. Yeah, they watch every one of the AFI's top 100 films. So they were talking about how like people would just dress up more often than, you know, people should dress up more often than. Yeah. And like, then it led to like her climbing down Mount Rushmore in heels and he's wearing his suit. And so they were talking about, like, this Cary Grant suit is, like, re Renaud is the best suit ever. Mm -hmm. And um, so much so that, so the only person that had a nicer suit in the movie was one of the other guys. Did anyone else see that? I thought it was Martin Landau. Yeah. Yes. Who also, didn't he, is he the one that From played the same tailor being gay? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, and so his, like, Cary Grant's people went up to Martin Landau because nobody, Alfred Hitchcock didn't tell him that this guy was going to have a nicer suit, but he was like, the only person that's going to have a nicer suit than Cary Grant is Martin Landau. And so Cary Grant's people went up and asked him where he got it because they knew you could only get it in, like, I can't remember if it was New York City or Italy or something like that. Um, but Are you talking about Cary Grant's suit? No, or, or the, Martin Landau. Yeah, oh, they went yeah. up and were like, "Where did you get this suit?" Um, but there's a whole it's um, there's a whole short story about Cary Grant's suit, and it's like about the point of it's from the basically North by Northwest from the point of view of the suit. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it talks about how it's not North by Northwest isn't a film about what happens to Cary Grant. It's about what happens to a suit. The suit has the adventures, a gorgeous New York suit threading its way through America. The title sequence in which the stark lines of Madison Avenue office building are woven together could be the construction of Carrie and his suit right there. He gets yeah. knitted into a suit, into his job before our very eyes. Indeed, some of the popular suitings of that time perfectly complemented office building. That's true. Um, yeah, so the... Uh, it's just the perfect suit, apparently. And he looked good in it. it, was, it was On the perfect body. Suit. Yeah. 
Well, in yeah. 2006, the GQ panel voted it best suit in film history. Wow. And there is this disagreement about who tailored the suit because it because there were because it was a film set, so there are multiple suits. So one of the suits had like w- one label in it, and it was said oh. though that the suit was tailored by. It was some. It could have been tailored by somebody else, or it was tailored by um, the Seville Row, like Cary Grant's yeah. personal Seville Row tailor in, in like London and stuff. And then I read that Martin Landau's suit was tailored from Cary Grant's personal. Yeah, tailor. that's what I read too. So yeah. I feel like his Cary Grant's suit was probably one of like he went to his personal tailor and had it personally tailored for him. Yeah. Because at MGM, all of the wardrobe that they pulled for Eva Marie Saint, Hitchcock was like, nah, I don't like this. So he mm-hmm. took her to New York to Bergdorf, Bergdorf Goodman's. Yeah. Yeah, Goodman's in New York and got all of her outfits. And he they did a good job. Mm-hmm. So are those your positives? Yes. Ma? Um, well, the 59 Lincoln Continental with the, with the uh, I was going to say eyes, but the headlights that slash in, kind of. Oh, I didn't even notice. Oh, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, on the title of North by Northwest, the arrows, um, the N of North has an, at the end of the N, it goes North. And then northwest, the T goes west. Oh. Yeah, that was really cool. A female spy in 59. Oh, that's true. Even though, like, female spies have been around forever. Yeah, but but to get, yeah. Shout out Harriet Tubman. <laughs> um, for the dude to get his feelings hurt over the girl instead of her mm-hmm. getting her feelings all hurt over him. And I did say nice house, but it wasn't a real house. It was all a fake house. I know. Mm. In the end, Frank Lloyd Wright. um, Style. Style. (laughs) Not Andrew Lloyd Webber. That would have been a dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun house. I thought you were saying about saying in Frank. Mm. Andrew Lloyd Webber and Frank Lloyd Wright, I've was worried we were going there. <laughs> you never know what Ma. You I had no. Uh, man, again, the, just the drunk driving scene was so suspenseful. It really was. I like that. So Martin Landau decided on his own to play Leonard as gay and in love with Van Damme. And people told him, like, oh, that's a mistake. You shouldn't do that because this is your first big movie and people will think you're gay. And Martin Landau was like, oh, and I and this won't be my last film um so he decided to play it very subtle because also very subtle very and he said like it was one of those things where you either knew or you didn't know uh i believe he had a quote about somebody like somebody in boise they're probably not gonna pick up on it so that's fine that line call call it my woman's intuition Mm -hmm. that wasn't in the original screenplay but mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock and Ernest Lehman, they they loved what he was doing, and so they fed it. They were like, "Here, oh, here's a line that'll, uh, you know, take it and stuff." And 
but the production co noticed and they kind of had a bit of an issue with it but because it was so subtle it was like well, what do you really like was. what what are you gonna do about it you know like what what do you mean what are we talking no it's not but like the production co people picked up on it so that's kind of, of funny they did um the plane chase crazy yeah that's where I was, how is he possibly getting out of this? I know. And then climbing all over Mount Rushmore, but there's no security on the and National did you Monument. Eva Marie Saint's pantyhose never tore. She got the CIA pantyhose. <laughs> um, a, He orders a Gibson, which is basically a martini, but with gin. With mm-hmm. an onion. Yeah, and, hey, uh, a martini yeah. with an onion instead of a pickle or an olive. Well, yeah, because it's gin, dry mer- vermouth, and a pickled onion. And I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah, this guy would like scotch. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Because yeah, cocktail onions, I, I like me some onions, but cocktail onions never did it for me. <sighs> this guy, he survived. He's a survivor. Destiny's Child wrote this song about Roger Thornhill. He drank a whole bottle of bourbon, was driving on a windy road, just completely blacked out drunk. He then interacted with cops and survived that whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he he dodges a knife-throwing thing at the UN. He gets chased by a plane that apparently had a machine gun on it. I know, a crop duster with a machine gun? Then he gets run over by a gas truck. Like, literally, the truck is on top of him. And then that truck explodes when the plane goes into it. And he is still up and, up and running, up and ticking. No wonder the man asked for scotch. <laughs> And that shirt was still white. The collar on that shirt was still white. Well, at one point, he does get the, the suit, uh, what it was, sponged. sponged, sponged and pressed. Like a sponge oh. is going to take care of this? Yeah. And his, the knees of that, the pants of that suit never got scuffed at all? But never took the, the shirt. Like, he just I know. kept wearing the shirt, the tie, same Wait, thing. Stains, I mean. Cary Grant don't sweat. I get I get you know very great to me. Yeah. Um, I really like the scene where he was being a dick at the auction house because he wanted to get escorted out by the police. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Cause he just goes in subtly and then he just just keeps going and he's just like, still nothing? Like still yeah, nothing? No, they were still being nice to him. And then he finally had to like throw a punch and he's like, finally, you guys. Um, like you said, that was a great house at the end, but it was not real. It was the set designer, Robert F. Boyle, designed the house in the style of Frank Lloyd Wright. The exteriors were done using matte painting, which is what Hitchcock would do a lot. That We talked about that in Torn Curtain. Um, and the interior was just a set that was built in Culver City, where MGM was at the yeah. time. Yep. Nice interior. And then I really liked the ending when he's lifting her up. And then it's like, up you go, Mrs. Thornhill. But then you're just like, what do you guys think? Did they last? No. Well, I mean, trust-wise, you got to work through some issues. You might have to go to counseling or something. Canceling. Yeah, I don't know. Because at some point, I would be like, 
Um, so when I found out that you were really a spy and I put you in danger, I went to save you. When you <laughs> found out that I was really just a rube, you sent me to the middle of nowhere to be gunned down and run over by a plane. However, he had to consider his mother. And she is someone who would do just fine with his mother. She is? She wasn't wealthy. She didn't need to be wealthy. She didn't. That woman was not going to get under her skin. Oh, because she was she was a spy and she had all of those mental tricks down. She, she was self-confident. Mm -hmm. She was self-assured. But would she put up with the mother? Because she see? might do away with her in, in due time. And I might she we might call in a favor. We'd be like, we need Operation C'est la vie. <laughs> Toot sweet. So those are my positive reheatables. Not that Teeny would ever do that to me. We are to quotables. Maggie, in the world of advertising, there is no such thing as lying. There's only expedient exaggeration. <sighs> Man, nailed it. Yeah. I never discuss love on an empty stomach. Now, originally the line was... I never discuss making love on an empty stomach, but they had to change it. They had to change it after in post-production. Treacherous little tramp. Mm. Mm. Using sex like some people use a fly swatter. Oh, his feelings were so mm. hurt. War is hell, even a cold one. Oh, well, if you're going to join me, better make it a quart. <laughs> <laughs> he told the dude to go out and get him a pint. Oh, you're going to join me? Then make it a quart because we're going to need a little more. Those are mine. My only one is not that, I'm, not that I mind a slight case of abduction now and then, but I have tickets to the theater this evening. <laughs> <laughs> he also had a good quote that I didn't write down when they were he was listing all the people. He was like, I have a secretary. I have multiple bartenders yes. <laughs> that, that depend <Yeah>. on me. <laughs> I didn't write that down. But then he had, um, he was like, what took you so long? And he was like, big face, small razor. That yeah. was so funny, that little tiny razor. Yeah. Um, why don't we colonize the colony one day next week over lunch? That was what he was saying to the to tell his secretary to tell somebody. I was just like, oh man. Let's see. Oh, he was at one point. James Mason was like, "You must give me a simple yes or no." And Gary Gray was just like, "A simple no." <laughs> he had so many good lines in the very beginning when he's ratatatting with his secretary. You couldn't keep oh, track yeah. of him. Yeah, that's where I got the whole, like, why don't we colonize the colony one day next week over lunch? It's just, oh, uh, yeah. So those were mine. So now we are to LVP. I have a runner-up. The two schmoes who didn't do a little bit more research to make sure they're kidnapping the right dude. Well, mine is the henchman as well. 
Oh, but that was your honorable mention. Yeah, mine was, it was too long. They could have cut some of the kissing scenes. Yeah. I mean, they kissed a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, we understand they have sexual attraction. They kissed a lot. That, that 15 minutes could have been gone from some of those kissing scenes. I guess I'm yeah. an old lady. No, I agree. I mean, my my runner-up was now is not the time or place to do this when yes. on the train, like you're trying to escape. Get sex off of your brain for a second. But where else are they? They got nothing to do. Uh yeah, just like last week. It was a bit forced. Um, but my <laughs> yeah. real I guess my real LVP is not Rushmore. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty good. Who knew? Well, you gotta educate yourselves, people. I would say my MVP LVP is the henchman. Because I'm a first off the bat. They were just like, oh, go in and ask for George Kaplan. And then because a guy turned around and raised his hand, then they're like, that's the man. A snapping fingers. I forgot to put that. Snapping fingers at the help to get their attention. No. Uh-uh. Well, but I mean, that's what that's what he did. And yeah, you I think you would have a little bit more rigor in verifying that this is the man. But that's because he right. just turned around and they're so far away and he's just like, oh, that's the man. Then they were super bad at eliminating him. First, they're like, oh, pour down the... <laughs> he survives that. Then they... Ha- I mean, they have one job. Then they had him in the field with the crop duster. Why would they come... He was in the middle of nowhere. Why are you doing this elusive, like, crop yeah. dusting thing? Yeah. Like, when you have somebody who can throw a knife and get it right in between the shoulders... Yeah, but that they were just very bad at their job. Very bad, very bad. Good help is so hard to find. Yeah, that's why we can't have nice things. Exactly. Who's the who do you have as MVP? I have well I have okay. I have Kendall. Um what's what's her first name? Eve. Eve Kendall. First of all, she comes across confident self-assured she knows what she's doing she Mm. does in 1959 and she was 26 26 in 1959 is like 15 now so yeah and then she shoots him i loved it i loved it yeah she was great so i have a runner oh Oh, no. Look at it together. This is what our listeners love, though. (laughs) I have a runner-up MVP, and it's me, (laughs) myself and I, because I saw the Hitchcock cameo. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, what did you see? He was getting on a bus or something in the beginning. Oh, because I thought it was the woman on the train. I swear, it looked just like him, but it wasn't. That's a woman. Really early on. Yeah, he was in the very beginning. When the bus doors open, he misses it. He's, I missed the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it. But that woman that you talk about, Ma, she, everybody thinks that he had the rare double cameo. But no, she's actually appeared in many of his films. Yeah. But it looked so much like him in drag. Um, but my real MVP is Cary Grant. I just enjoyed him. Yes, I mm. agree. 
My uh, be your Paul Newman. I allow. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, like, I like Robert Redford, but he's not. I think I prefer Brad Pitt over Robert Redford. Uh. But um, recently, other things have come out about Mr. Pitt, and it's like, oh. Um, but, yeah, Paul Newman's always number one, but I really enjoy Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Just his, his style. I mean, the arsenic and old lace. Uh, he was hilarious in perfection. that. Perfection. My, my honorable mention is Hitchcock because just the different shots and stuff that he would use. And, and like at one yeah. point when they weren't allowed, I don't think they were allowed to shoot in the UN. They and weren't. so he had a shot up above, like sneakily done. There was a long shot. And I have to go back and watch it because when I was doing research, I heard or read that. Uh, an extra does a double take because he sees Cary Grant walking in and it's, it was this long shot. But my real MVP is Bernard Herman because the music of just, it just, it just it propels you and it just adds all of this stuff. Case in point, the elevator scene when the henchmen are in the elevator with Cary Grant's character and his mom's character and the music is so suspenseful and stuff and then the mom just goes, are you boys trying to murder my son? And the oh, suspenseful, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the suspenseful music just cuts out, and then there's just a pause, and then everybody in the elevator just busts up laughing <laughs> and stuff. I was just, I just the music of it just really just yeah from it. the beginning. Yeah, we were just the drunk driving scene, like all of it just really sets it up great. And and then by that extension, when there was the lack of music, it also made it more suspenseful. Suspenseful, exactly. Yeah, because there wasn't the music to it, and you were just like, and a lot of times you didn't even notice why. You're like, all of a sudden it's quiet. Like the stuff with the, when he's out in the middle of nowhere, and you just hear the crop duster playing and the all of that, yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, I, I did a recasting. No, oh. I, I did one too. Would you like to go first? I'll go first. I just did Roger and Eve, and it's I just did it basically paint by numbers. If you were gonna do it in today's time, I casted Eve as Jessica Chastain. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, mm-hmm. it's like exactly the same. And then as uh, Roger, I was like George Clooney. Oh yeah. Well, I went a different route. Hmm. And I cast Van Damme as Queen Latifah. Oh. It's kind of a uh, girls' trip reunion. I, I cast Eve Kendall as Regina Hall, but it could be Regina King. Either oh. one, self-assured, self-confident. And then the Roger Thornhill, who didn't know what was going on, is Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> and there could be some comedy, be comedy in there with her going, "What the fuck? I am not." Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty good. Christy, I did not. You not just do part. it with uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> so we're to tasties. I have one. Ooh, please. Um, there is a. Blooper. Did you guys see the blooper? 
Probably not. At the, in the cafeteria scene, where the where she shoot spoiler alert, where she shoot, shoots him with the blanks. Um, when she's like going in there, like right before it happens, there's a little boy, and like he's a kid, and you can see he like is ready for it to happen, and he covers like he plugs <laughs> oh, his ears really? like a few seconds before, like a good ten seconds before it's about to happen. I would so be me. Yeah. <laughs> You're cut. Um, I had the, during the filming of Vertigo in 1958, Alfred Hitchcock was talking this film up to Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to be Roger Thornhill. And Alfred Hitchcock was like, no, like, oh. no. That's not what I was thinking, but he couldn't hurt his feelings because Jimmy Stewart was in how many Alfred Hitchcock ones. So Alfred had to wait until Jimmy Stewart was signed to do Anatomy of a Murder. And then he could go after who he wanted, Cary Grant, to play Roger Thornhill. Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, yeah. he's misunderstood me. Oh, I've made a horrible mistake. Um... Cary Grant charged fans 15 cents per autograph. I mean, why not? He, he, people, he, I read that he had a uh, reputation for being cheap, but like his daughter and stuff was like, he wasn't, he wasn't cheap. He just came from nothing and he believed. There's a difference between being cheap and smart with your money. Yeah. Frugal. There's, yeah. There's a yeah. difference between cheap and frugal. That's what I tell myself. Well, you do it better than anybody. <laughs> um, I have that Alfred took Eva Marie Saint to Bergdorf's. Uh, Cary Grant was 55, and he thought he was too old for this role. He wasn't. Um, yeah, the call it my women's intuition. James Mason had a severe heart attack after filming this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And even he where he said, no, no, he he lived, oh. but then he he ended up being taken out the game from a, another heart attack later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they usually come back and find you. And even Marie Saint was 34. She was supposed to be 26. I I could have had her be in 28. I could have accepted yeah. 28. I feel like 26 was a little, but okay. I carry I, be, I believed it because of the the wardrobe and the of those times. Like to oh, me, everyone everyone yeah. just looks older. You know, it's true. Well, they didn't have all the um, uh, spot fading creams. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, other tasties. I have that 1958 was a difficult year. So the year prior to this film, it was a very difficult year for Alfred Hitchcock. His wife, Alma, was diagnosed with cancer, and she had to go through surgery and a full recovery. And that really shook Hitchcock because he was like, oh, my gosh, I almost lost her. But she completely recovered, and so that was good. Well done, Alma. Um. Roger Ebert said, quote, um, sooner or later, every Hitchcock woman is humiliated. That was kind of a thing mm-hmm. with, in his films. 
and everyone was blonde. Well, isn't it because he's... I heard things... Is Alfred Hitchcock gay himself? I'm... And he didn't really come to, like, ever come out or come and maybe um... come to terms. Like, he wasn't okay with it. Like, maybe he was gay and he wasn't okay with it. Or but... maybe maybe he was of the... Cause so there was a quote, something where it was of the androgynous mind. Mm. I forget who. Oh, they just, said that about Cary Grant because there were always rumors about that with Cary Grant. Right. And Cary Grant kind of like would use that when he was hitting on women and stuff, apparently. And uh, they, I guess his daughter said that he had an androgynous mind. So it was kind of like, I, to me, I believe that sexuality is on a spectrum. So yeah, he could have had attractions or like he could have been somewhere placed along there i don't i don't know if he was like if alfred hitchcock was full-on homosexual yeah i just didn't know maybe that had something to do with him not like putting women in these roles and like oh right. that always happening to the women in his films yeah <laughs> and probably because and probably because in those times and stuff you weren't allowed to to dabble into the those gray areas you know you had he had to be if if he were even to veer off course and and be like oh look at this exquisite woman's shoe wear you know like a high heel right. shoe and and like its beauty and, and like it then it, oh you're gay you're a homosexual you know even though he's yeah it's probably it, i mean he was with his wife enough that i i don't think that you will like wasn't attracted to women because he was so good <laughs> at spotting women and he was with his wife for i mean for until his death and stuff so he couldn't be like 100 percent. but because he was so good at spotting women and all of that he definitely and i read a biography when i was in high school of him and he had a lot of of we'll say issues like especially with authority so there was probably a lot going on that now he would be, you know, like a, a like one of those artists that we see now who is fluid. Yeah, and, and just you know, like like somebody that you would be like, oh, he mar- he's a like in the broad, like just stereotypical. Oh, that's a Broadway guy, but then right. he was with um, married to women, you know, like right. Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse was this guy who was super into Broadway and dancing and all of mm-hmm. that, but he was always with women. But if you were like, he was also with men, I wouldn't be like, get yeah. out of here, Bob Fosse. Yeah. So I, I think mean, that, there, yeah, there wasn't enough room to play around in that. So he was probably stuck in this box. And, and also it wasn't like he was the most attractive man in the world. So oh, I could see yeah. growing up is if, he, um, being on the spectrum where he was attracted to women, that probably the women that he was attracted, like he had a type. He obviously had a type, and it was blonde, icy women. And if he looked that way and was going up to women, I could see that that those type of women prob- maybe weren't this- as nice to him. You know, like... Wasn't there a whole man. thing about Tippi Hedren and him? Like, Oh, yeah, that he was very creepy. Yeah, and he would like, like, 
spy through, look at her through like little holes in the wall and stuff. Ooh. Oh, he, yeah, he definitely had some uh, odd proclivities. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But and he loved those blondes. Kim he Novak, the Hedron. Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. He wanted Grace Kelly. Have you all this? done to catch a thief? Have we done to catch a thief? I like before me. I know I haven't. I part of don't think I just updated the list. So I I'll hearing, search. That's Grace Kelly, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Carrie and Green. Carrie Green. So, so the, and the one Monaco, thing that I was right? watching, or the one, what did I say the name of that podcast was? Unspooled. Mm-hmm. One of them was saying how much they didn't like. What's her name in this? Eve Green. Eve Marie Saint. Not that they didn't like her. But she, oh, it was the girl, um, Amy. She was like, it's not that I didn't don't think she did a good job, but I watched this again right after watching To Catch a Thief. Mm-hmm. And Grace Kelly and Carrie Grant, uh, Grace Kelly was just so amazing in that, mm-hmm. that she just wasn't as believable. So it made me want to see that movie. And that, that's tough because you're being compared to Grace Kelly, who yeah, is. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, yeah. at this point, was Princess of Monaco. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was. She was yeah. out the game, and um... he wanted. He wanted Grace Kelly. He wanted Kim Novak, and he settled on Eva Marie Saint. And I thought it was great because it was a different face from his usual. Blondes and uh, oh yeah, she was a beautiful, and I loved her that dress. I have a wedding to go to on New Year's Eve, and I was like, I wish I could wear that dress. I know like floral dress. You could kill that dress. We have not done to catch a thief. Oh, Christine, we haven't done it yet. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm I not do. changing my pick, but to keep in mind, it's something. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is definitely something to, and also i was just read that hitchcock's personal favorite was shadow of a doubt and we haven't done that so oh, that's really interesting all yeah. right so you guys have any other tasty titties i am done with my tasties i have that oh yeah because it was neat that Cary grant was alfred hitchcock's favorite actor <gasps> Yeah. Because of the reasons that we Come said on. before. Okay, I also heard that Alfred Hitchcock wanted to be Cary Grant. Yeah, that's oh the thing. My, who who doesn't? I guess who doesn't? I, I mean, I would want to be Grace Kelly. Yeah. I, I kind of want to. I want to be Grace Kelly, and I want to be Cary Grant. <laughs> like, yeah, just <laughs> it. It's the like, yeah. Um, walking in those, walking in a room, knowing you are the best looking person in the room. But, but no, that that wasn't his thing. Like, I mean, you know it, it, but you don't. Sorry, you walk in a room like that. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, but his whole thing was that 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 like people expected him to think that, and that right. he disarmed he them. Yeah, right. With it, and that was the whole thing of of his. Like, like I imagine that Paul Newman kind of had a similar thing of didn't act like he was as good looking as he was. Right. Right, you know, well, and he always had an inf- inferiority complex. Yeah, and the same with um, Cary Grant, Cary Dark, mm-hmm. our, our main man, Cary Dark, in that you know he coming from those humble beginnings, and his, I mean, his real name was Archibald Leach. Yeah, and they made him change it, and yeah. they were like, 
they said Archie, that that won't play well in the United States. And then, oh, what's her face is like, excuse me, I will have you know, I will name my son Archie. Megan. Yeah. Was Several like, decades later, and um, and he was degrees of darkness later, and he made the. But I'm. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting because I don't think that kid's gonna be that dark. Just <laughs> the interesting aside. Um. But compared to Britain and the royal family, it's always oh, it's oh, that's going to be very dark. But <laughs> that's uh, hilarious. Um, yeah, because and then Cary Grant was, you know, did the whole thing of like, well, it didn't sound great in England either. Just, you know, his whole charming thing mm-hmm. that he had in the, the persona. And he was just really good at being Cary Grant. Apparently, one of his wives, his early wives, said that that he uh, laid his hands on her, and that he could be a very different person in private. Really, he was very oh, controlling. Yeah. He oh was, no, don't cancel him for me already. He was just very controlling, and um, well, okay, Mm-mm. not gonna victim blame. Almost victim blamed. Not gonna victim blame. Okay. I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. I mean, oh, you're going to tell me that this guy who is so great in movies and acting and being this great guy doesn't have a second facade and a second side that, like, okay. Like, we don't know who any of these people are. Exactly. We just just like to see their persona on the screen and we just go with it. Um, let me see. Oh, Alfred Hitchcock worked with Eva Marie Saint to make her voice lower and huskier, which was something oh. that I picked up on because I was like, oh, her voice sounds fantastic. I like the way she sounded. Oh, I didn't pay attention. Mm-hmm. And she said that he worked with her to make it lower and huskier. Do, y'all, do you know how you're supposed to find your voice? No. I think you're supposed to go like... <sighs> Oh, I do that all the time. And that's your voice right there. The, the end of it. The, yeah. Oh, so this is, oh, this is my voice. voice. This is You're my voice. voice. I wish yeah. this were my you voice. You have to get used to speaking. Well, you have to get used to speaking. I know. Does my voice sound better? I can't tell. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Kathleen Turner. That's supposed to be your normal speaking voice. Yeah, because Kathleen Turner really worked hard on her husky low voice, and it I worked it for TikTok. her. Oh, I like this. Yeah. This is how I'm supposed yeah. to Next sound. Week we'll do our, oh, our my God. I do. It sounds too. like I could be working on NPR. It does. Uh, Move over, Jerry Gross. Here comes Christine Mabes Bush. This <gasps> is The Daily. And I'm your host, Michael Barbaro. <laughs> See you tomorrow. Mm. We mm. all sound so much better this way. Here's what else you need to know today. Nerd yes. today. <laughs> well, what we need to know, Erin, are you done with your tasties? No, I still have oh, a few. Excuse me. excuse me. No, I still have a few more. No, I still have a few Please continue. More. Um, Gary Grant told Ava Marie Saint, see, see, Ava Marie, you don't have to cry in a movie to have a good time. Just kick mm. up your heels and have fun. Oh, uh, okay. That's not a good look. This was nominated for three Academy Awards, Best Film Editing, Best Art Direction, and Best Original Screenplay. And it lost all three. Oh. And it lost all three. Um, so Hitchcock always had this idea for a film where somebody, an innocent person, 
was hiding from villains in Lincoln's nose. In Lincoln's in Lincoln's nose. Yeah, and that and that then um, he he was alert. The villains were alerted to him when he sneezed, and so Hitchcock always had this idea: the man in Lincoln's nose, or the man who sneezed in Lincoln's nose. So he's just going around with this idea for years and years and years until finally. Ernest Lehman's like, you know what I want to do? I want to write the Hitchcock film to end all Hitchcock films. And then Hitchcock was still like, no, it's got to be in Lincoln's nose. And they're like, how are we going to film that he's in his nose? And and then Hitchcock was like, and then, no, it's not the man who sneezes. It's Lincoln who sneezes. And Ernest is like, Hitchcock. Lincoln sneezes. He's a granite statue. How is that man going to sneeze? And then and then Hitchcock was kind of like, no, okay, you're right, you're right. And I cannot tell you all the ins and outs and what have you of this film, and neither could Cary Grant. He said, quote, it's a terrible script. We've already done a yeah. third of the picture, and I can't make heads or tails of it. And Hitchcock was like, perfect. That's exactly where I need you to be in this exactly. film. Exactly. Because Roger Thornhill has no idea heads or tails of it. It's perfect. And Cary Grant, the whole time he's acting, he's like, this is going to be a bomb. This is going to be a bomb. Right up until the premiere. And then he was like, it's a hit. <laughs> it's a hit. Oh, Hitchcock, why did I doubt you? So that chase, like the chase scene is with a real plane. And I think on a soundstage, they filmed Cary Grant diving. But that crash, that's done with models. Mm -hmm. and, and well done with models, because a lot of time, a lot of times when you see things done with models, it's obvious they're models. But it wasn't obvious to me that this was models. Mm -hmm. It was pretty good. It wasn't like the beginning of the for y'all the lady vanishes. Yes, you're like ah, oh, it's models, and I was like, but it works. Um, Roger Thornhill is saved three times by Eve in this. Once yes. in the toilet, once in the bunk bed, and once with the shape. Well, in the, it, not in the in the literal toilet. Okay, that's the European toilet, but it is in the restroom. In the water closet. I'm okay. sorry. Okay. In Greek mythology, a hero on his journey is always saved three times. Evidently, I never read Greek mythology. Mm. That's something. And then but I did have to make Adam a three-headed dog at one point, and mm -hmm. I knocked it out of the park. Nailed it! And not in a sarcastic nailed it, in a legitimate nailed yeah, it. Yeah, it was amazeballs. It was pretty good. Um, And then finally, my last one is that... So there was... So, you know, you had Alfred Hitchcock. He had this whole idea of Mount Rushmore. You had Ernest Levin. They wanted this idea. And then Hitchcock remembered hearing about a journalist who wrote a story about something that really happened. And so they ended up paying the journalist $10,000 for the this idea. And what it was is during World War II, Operation Mincemeat. So the British... This really happened in World War II. I've heard Operation Mincemeat, but I forget what it is. The British wanted to lure the Italian and German forces away from Sicily because Sicily was where they were going to invade. So they're like, we need to lure them away from there. So they decided to get a cadaver, like a British soldier who had given his life for his, duty, for his country. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. They got a body. They gave it a new identity, and his identity was basically as a spy. 
and they put planted phony papers on his body. And Ooh. the phony papers showed plans of a secret invasion of Sardinia and Greece. Ooh. And so then they, they planted that and let them let the, uh, the Italian German forces find this body. And they were like, oh, we found the spy. But it's basically a story of a spy who doesn't exist, that they just made up a spy. And so that was Operation Mincemeat. And so then they paid the uh, journalist $10,000 to use that. And that became the basis of having George Kaplan be a spy who doesn't really exist. Oh. Oh. And there you have it. Those were my tasty titties. Well, this has been the acclaimed on every movie list you will ever find must watch North by North. Great holiday time picture. I never saw the newspaper that mentioned that it was Thanksgiving. That it was did? the it was there was a, a Thanksgiving adjacent to this. Oh yeah, that's which which is why I picked it. And oh. there was supposed to be a newspaper that said so um I don't know about that, but I do know that next week it's my turn. Uh, Teeny Pigs Oh, I don't know. Let's see. So I felt a lot of pressure. <laughs> I know the feeling. I did too. There's a couple reasons. That's not what I want. Come on, get out of here. Um, because next week will probably be our last podcast until it, next year. You're right. Until the best of, right? Until the best of until podcast. January 8th. Wow. Because Aaron's going to go see them for... And then oh. we are going to be in D.C. for a weekend, and then she'll be here, and then it's Christmas Day. And then on New Year's, Adam and I are attending a wedding, and we'll be traveling. So so maybe we can, maybe we'll be able to do the best of live, all three of us. Maybe. We'll see. Over we'll Christmas. See. We'll see. Okay. No pressure. So... We have one Christmas movie, and it's my fucking pick. Oh. It is. So there's your wow. hint one. It's Christmas. I've already been knocked down. I thought it was going to be Elf. Not Elf. It's oh. from 1973. 1973. The Toy. No. That's before. Wait, no. that's just at the beginning of, of Manzel and Liz. I mean, the 70s were wild. The director is Ralph Sineski. Ralph Sineski. And it stars... Let's find... Uh-oh, one of the reviews says corny, but warm and inspiring. Well, there we go. 1973. Was it a TV movie or a cinema movie? I'm not sure how I would know that. Guys, I, the 70s are a blank spot for me. Do we have Dolly Parton in it? No. The cast. Somebody named Harry Rhodes. Harry Rhodes. B. Richards. Lynn Hamilton. George Spell. Mm. Okay. Clarence Muse. Mm. Okay. 
um, well, I will add that it was, it is number four on Harper's Bazaar, um, the best 35 classic Christmas movies of all time. Oh, okay. number okay. four. It goes, It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street, and this movie. This film, wow. And then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I'd never heard of it. Would you like to hear the synopsis? Yes. Oh, please. Produced in the 70s, but set in the 50s. Set in the... <gasps> no. Wait. What? It, it's not... It's not... Um, a Christmas story? It's not no. a Christmas story. Okay. No, you've already done that. I know, but I love it. Okay. Did you watch the yeah. one on HBO? Like, the the redone? Have you? No. no Me either. I'm not going to watch that shit. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. This movie is a hallmark of classic... Black Holiday films Black starring Holiday. Harry Rhodes, B. Richards, and Lynn Hamilton. The movie follows a hardworking, hardworking Southern minister who relocates his family to the West Coast to save a church. According to Turner Classic Movies, it was the extended pilot episode of what was supposed to be the next Walton series. Oh. Good night, John Boy. Was that the Waltons? That's where I got the name Aaron from, the Waltons. Oh. Okay, have I stumped Indeed. you? Awesome. You have totally stumped. Hey, Christmas on the West Coast. <laughs> it's called A Dream for Christmas. I've never, never heard, heard of this. Neither have I. And I was like, number four. I mean, it's ahead of following A Rudolph Redo's Reindeer, A oh. Charlie Brown Christmas, Babes in Toyland. Like, it's ranked number four on this list. Oh, wait a second. Did you see if we can watch this film anywhere? <laughs> Aaron's third question every week. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> available to watch. Oh, that's a good question. Oh, ouch. Oh, maybe we'll be doing Elf. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see if we can watch that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Well, stay tuned. There will be some sort of holiday movie next week. This says watch it on Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Okay. No, this is the 2016 Hallmark movie, A Dream of Christmas, that keeps coming up for me. Oh, my God. Oh, now, now there yeah. is A Dream for Christmas, which has Juanita Moore, Harry Ro Okay, it's a black cast. Juanita Moore. Yeah, a black holiday film. We're trying, yeah. Oh, I didn't get that. <laughs> a southern minister is assigned to a poor church in California where the congregation is drifting away and the church itself scheduled for demolition. That's what she said, but me, given that how movies are, how movies are, I totally thought that it was... Oh, that's Harry Rose? I know Harry... Oh, okay, he's pretty. I, she Hamilton. didn't say Juanita Moore. We well, know no, Juanita, Juanita Moore. Moore isn't in the top five on here, okay? No, she's not. Clarence Muse. Okay, more. Uh, I don't want more like this. I want to watch it. Okay. Well, you know what, listeners? It'll either be that or something else. Yeah, who knows what you'll end up coming to tune in for. It's on YouTube as the full movie. Oh, okay. Okay. So. Okay. And you can buy the VHS on Amazon. 
Okay. Oh, I like it. A right. total unknown. That's what she does. That's what she brings to the gone with the Teeny picks bangers. Shit. All right. Well, we'll have to do some digging, I guess. Well, it's on, it's on YouTube. It, we can watch it. An hour and 32 minutes. You can sit oh, in front of your computer for that long. That's my girl. All yeah. right. Okay, listeners, you, I hope you have enjoyed North by Northwest. Um, and next week, a total zinger. We'll see what we're in for. We will see what we are in for. Thank you for listening, and I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And we are now in the Christmas season. Time to bring those Santas out. And... Bye-bye.